I'm a Dapper Dan man. I do not like FOP. This is the Culture Implosion podcast. We're talking about the eighth movie by the Coen brothers today. Oh, brother, where art thou? Ain't this place a geographical oddity? It's two weeks from everywhere. Bill and I are going to talk about the movie, play a little bit of the trailer coming up next. And by the way, I know we hit a blind spot when we were talking about the movie and we neglected to talk about the awesome performance by John Goodman in this movie. Maybe we'll rectify that in future episodes. Okay, stick around. Hope you like it. Enjoy. Get back to his wife and kids. Ulysses Everett McGill will do anything. Hey, any boy, Smitty. But he's about to get off on the wrong track. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. Boys, if you just stick with me. Man, we're in a tight spot. Believe me, I got a plan. And I can get my wife back and we can get out of here. Okay, I'm with you fellas. Gonna introduce us, Pete? I've seen him first! Pete! Ah! Them sirens loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. Well, allow me to introduce myself. Big Dan Tootcorp. Ah! Hey, what line of work you in, George? Come and get me, Captain! Ah! Oh, George, not the livestock. Wait a minute. Since we've been following your lead, we got nothing but trouble. You have eluded me for the last time. Ah! I got the answers. I'm bona fide. May he be your friend's think I'm just a stranger. I think you never see no You're gonna go far. I'll meet you on God's golden shore. You ever been with a woman? I gotta get the family farm back before I can start thinking about that. Cohen Brothers Movie Club. What movie is this, Bill? We're on the eighth movie? We are on, I, I, I don't know to the number, but eight sounds eight. approximately right. Um, it's, it's we are doing Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay. So what's funny is it's a title with a question mark, except hardly anybody inflects the question mark when no. they say the title. You're right. Oh Brother, um, Where it, Art Thou? Where Art Thou? I suppose, where, where, actually, where you know what? Thou? I suppose, however... That generally when someone asks a question, a where question, it is not the end of the sentence that gets raised, but the, the are or is. Where are thou? Where so, are you? Where so are thou? So I've got, yeah. right. Okay, so here we go. Okay. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Eighth Coen Brothers movie on the tales of Lebowski, right? Yeah. On the yep. tales of came out after Big Lebowski. Yeah, it premiered on December 22nd. In the midst of the last year of the Clinton presidency mm-hmm. in 2000, okay. right in the middle of the whole Gore, Judge George W. Bush presidential election. Remember, like, mm. Gore conceded and then... What, and say, then wait, what, what month did it come out? December. Oh, yeah. So it happened right... Oof, yeah. man. It, it premiered on December 22nd. Oh, yep. man. And so, remember, Florida had gone back and forth. They said Florida was too cl- too close to call, right? Yep. So, um, we had um, we had "Breathe" by Faith Hill, "Smooth" by Santana and Rob Thomas, hot on top of the radio in that year, two thousand. And here we go: the Coens released their eighth movie in, in the middle of all of that retelling of Homer's Odyssey, mixed with the Three Stooges, set in, I would say, post-slavery rural South. We don't really get a, a day or a year or anything, but... Oh, no, we do. Yeah, we, we do. Get, 
Yeah. Yeah. Because they well, say uh, 80, they say in uh, 80 years it'll be yep. 1984 or something. Uh, so, it, it's, so it's set in 1937 is when it's set. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, so wait, let me... And, let me or, wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Okay. Set, starring George Clooney, John Turturro, Tim Blake Nelson, Holly Hunter, John Goodman. Whole slew of a cast. One more yeah. thing for the intro. One more okay. thing for the intro. Roger Ebert in 2000 when War, uh, when Oh Brother Where Art Thou came out. Mm-hmm. Want to guess how many stars Roger gave it out mm. of four? I'm going to guess that this is one of those movies that Ebert somewhat strangely didn't like. He gave it okay. two. Close. 2.5 stars out of four. Okay. Saying... Uh, the story strands meet and separate as if the movie is happening mostly by chance and good luck. A nice true, feeling though. sometimes. <laughs> a nice feeling sometimes, although not one that inspires confidence that the narrative train has an engine. Hmm. Uh, production budget was $26 million. Opening weekend. I need to dig into these numbers maybe a little bit more because this seems really off. Maybe it was like a pre-pre-opening weekend in France or something. But according to Box Office Mojo, the opening weekend, this movie only made $195,000. Maybe it only opened in uh, New York or something. Yeah. yeah. Could be a situation like that. So so there we go. That's my preamble. Cool. Thought, so general, general thoughts about it. Well, let me... Got? So because you, were, because you sort of were setting the scene of when the movie came out, it yeah. actually answered a lingering question I had because I was thinking back on when I saw the movie for the first time, I saw it in the theater. And I remember that uh, I went to see it in the theater with my mom, but not my dad. And I was like, why did I go to a theater? Why did I go see a movie with my mom, but not my dad? Because typically it would have been, you know, all three of us going. Um, But that answers the question because um, the, in, in December, and when the whole Bush v. Gore thing was going down, that was my, I think my dad was out of the country because he was visiting my sister. No, this can't be right. Hmm. Never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> I thought, you know what? This might be, I might be thinking of a, a different movie because my dad was out of the country for the election because he, my sister was in a study abroad program in Italy at the time. And he went to visit my sister and he was out of the country for the presidential election. And he remembers back then, you know, in 2000, it's not like you checked the internet uh, for what happened in the election. And so the next morning, the Italian papers were just kind of like, the election in the United States didn't quite work right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they were like, what's going on? So, but he would have been back by December, however. So okay. it must okay. be, must be I'm misremembering the circumstances. So, so all, all right. of that to say, a story that amounted to nothing. I apologize Great. for bringing the podcast to a grinding halt. Well, so, but post-slavery South, 1930s, you said, right? Yeah. Um, what are your general thoughts? How did you feel about the movie on this? How many times have you, have you seen it before? Oh, man, I've seen this movie. I have seen this movie as many times as I've seen any Coen Brothers movie. It might oh, be the okay. most, well, probably I've seen it and Big Lebowski roughly equal number of times. So in terms of numbers of viewings, it's got to be one of the highest for me. For the Coen Brothers, okay, um, and I loved it. I mean, I freaking loved it. I think that on our last episode, I did not put it in my top tier Coens, mm-hmm. but I can't really find a reason why it's not in there. I mean, it's hilarious, it's entertaining, the music is great. I love every time I watch the movie. I notice some new thing in the way that, particularly the three lead actors, but really everybody like some new thing that they're doing in the background or some look on somebody's face as two other characters are talking and so on. Um, yeah. Jokes I didn't notice before. Um, I, I, I so love it. Where, so, um, where, so it's top tier Coen Brothers for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I, I, found myself really really enjoying some parts but i felt like it was kind of uneven not not because of the roger ebert digs 
-hmm. but more like i'll just i'll just lay it out there i'm not sure what what segment in the podcast to throw this out there in this movie's depiction of like racial struggles is really hard for me to watch in this day and age like it's so so um i think it's one of the first scenes that we see is just a bunch of uh black people being on the chain gang right right we don't see any white people at all including our protagonists right, right. yeah and then and then they escape right and none of those characters have any have anything to do with the story um tommy johnson um is black but it almost doesn't quite matter in a way you know he's like but he's like gonna he's get raised by the clan ah uh, that's true that's true that's true but but i was thinking about this and it's not really like i guess maybe that adds to the humor of it but they they don't really get up in arms about about racism or the treatment of african americans in the country they're just sort of like well this is a silly thing to believe you know am i making any sense here i i i see your point but i disagree with it mm. T- i think that the movie is absolutely ridiculing the hell out of the racial philosophies of the clan members depicted and i, I think feel it doesn't like... pull any punches about that I see. I don't think that they that it treats it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how to put it. I feel like. I feel like it's more treating it as like, um, at least the characters themselves. The the they treat it more as just like, well, this is a this is a weird and dumb thing. But I suppose maybe that's the way it's supposed to be played, and the audience is supposed to be in on the on the joke of how terrible it is, you know, it would be like um, having an understated response to something that was so terrible. Does that make any sense? Oh, also, I, I mean, they did play black fla- blackface up for laughs at that one point. I don't what know. Point, what, what point was that? So they're escaping from one of the, from one of the times that the sheriff is, come to get them uh-huh. um and it's at night they put blackface on or they put like shoe polish on their face to be better um disguised in the dark is that and true? then yeah yeah and that because that's why they that's why when they um when they get to the clan thing and they take their robes off that take the the things off they go the color guard is the color guard is colored yeah, I don't think that they intended it as blackface, though. I think they just intended it as. But it. But I feel I like mean, again, I feel the butt of that joke are the Klansmen. I agree with you. I agree with you. But for a movie that, that again, I'm I'm not slandering the movie. I'm not saying like this this movie gets canceled. I'm just saying this is the part that gives me a little bit of like, I'm just not so sure. Sh- Sure, especially for guys that don't include a whole lot of black people in their movies. No, it's true. I mean, (laughs) so on the one hand, it is true. What it is definitely not a movie about race and racism, you know? Yeah. Like they didn't they didn't set out to make this an issues movie about that. No, Um, right. Mm -hmm. But that said, I don't think I don't know. I think that uh, I think that you have to buy that you uh, everett delmar and pete are are you know white southerners who were not particularly racist for the no time. right right i don't think they i don't think i i feel like i mean here's the thing i feel like they would be sort of they would be kind of like the white guys that are like post quote unquote post-racial you know, I suppose yeah, that's I, kind I, of the way that's kind of the way I think the movie is positing things. 
It's like, I oh, look it, at how funny this stuff was. I'm glad we don't live in that reality anymore. Yeah, I think and that's like, I think that's probably a fair way to characterize it. I would say that I got the impression that if you were to, I think that on the one hand, so in that era, there were Klansmen, but they were a minority of white folks. Most white folks were probably themselves prejudiced against black people in the sense that they probably, like if you were to ask Everett and Delmar and Pete whether they think black people and white people should get married, I don't think that they would like, express uh, anachronistically progressive views or anything like that. But I also think no. that there are people who wouldn't be openly hostile to black people just because they were black. Yeah, uh, I don't think they would. Yeah, I don't think they would either. But I don't know. It's just it's a wrinkle that I don't know that we're going to solve here. But it's mm-hmm. it, it's one that made me not. It's definitely one that made me. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not I, I'm not sure about that that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the wrinkle part of the movie for me. Um I think I that myself... when you say when you say that all the prisoners were black, I think that unfortunately that's just accurate for that time period in Mississippi, because the the prison population in places like Mississippi would have been just overwhelmingly African American yeah, people. I mean that's true, but but we don't even see the three of them in there, like like there it, it's yeah I I I that is probably true. But also, none of them played any part in the plot, so uh, of mm-hmm. an absurdist movie where they could have played a part in the plot. You yeah, know, that's fair. just I'm just pointing it out, just throwing mm-hmm. it out there to acknowledge the blemishes on on this movie made by white guys. Mm-hmm. That's just fair. saying. Um, uh, I I on this viewing, I don't know how many times I've seen it before. Not very many. It's still not one of my favorites, I think. I think it's second tier. It's not it's not lower tier Coen Brothers for me, but it's like second tier. Okay. Are there um, three tiers in your formulation? I think so. Yeah, because we've got like I think for me, we've got movies that that are virtually perfect, like No Country for Old Men, Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I put Fargo up there. Those three I think are like those movies are great. And then middle tier movies, probably Barton Fink, um, Miller's Crossing for me, uh, this movie, um, Serious Man, I think would be t- probably top tier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe Lewin Davis, but I haven't seen it in a while. So I, I have to revisit that. That yeah. might be middle tier. And then bottom tier. I mean, we're gonna we're we're coming up on the after this podcast, we're coming up on the on the Lady Killers era. Things are gonna start to get rough a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we we get Lady Killers and we get Intolerable Cruelty. Um, yeah. And honestly, unpopular opinion for me, Raising Arizona. Not yeah, one of my well, you're, you're not a fan of Raising Arizona. And I don't. Um, I, while I enjoy um, Hudsucker Proxy, I don't know if that's. That's either middle or bottom tier for me. Yeah. Like I didn't like I've Hunter. Seen... I thought Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah, that's bottom tier for me. Yeah, yeah. So and and I think though that varies. Like some some folks that I know who are movie nerds really liked um Hudsucker Proxy because they were super into the callbacks from the forties and stuff. Hmm. But mm-hmm. but um Oh Brother Where Art Thou, I think middle tier for me. It's it's okay. it doesn't approach the level of um Lebowski or whatever. Um, wh- how about we do this? Is this too jarring for us to jump into some trivia? No. Let's do it. How do we want to do it? I got. I made some questions. You made some questions. Do we yes, want to go one and one, or do we want to do my chunk then your chunk, or how do you want to do it? Uh, let's go back and forth. Mine all are right. all historical in nature. My, mine are uh, character and actor based. Okay. So, new segment. I think we tried this segment once before. But I think we've done this segment go. before, yeah. Yeah, but here's a trivia segment. Um, and yeah, here we go. Okay. What character? So, you need to give me the character. What character mm-hmm. was played by an actor who also appeared in the October 6th? 1994 episode of Seinfeld 
entitled The Pledge Drive, where he played a man with an unusually high voice. His voice caused him frequently to be confused with his wife, Eileen, and I think also Jerry's grandmother in the episode. So, wow. Okay, so, and this is multiple choice. A, the nameless bald-headed team member for Papi O'Daniel, played by Brian Reddy, who in the scene keeps arguing if the more apt metaphor was a kick in the pants or a paddling (laughs) when they were telling Papi O'Daniel how badly Homer Stokes was beating them. Right, 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 right. That's choice one. Choice two, Tommy Johnson, played by Thomas, uh, played by Chris Thomas King, who had sold his soul to the devil to uh, to play guitar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. C, Wash Hogwallop, played by Frank Collison, a character who informs Everett that his wife had left her hairnets in Jan Bura. Jan Bura. So, you got those choices? Those are your three choices. I'm going to go with Hogwallop. That's my guess. Final answer? That's my final answer. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It was A. The character actually... uh, Yeah, A. Uh... The character actually doesn't have a name. He's a bald-headed member of Pappy's staff who is arguing on the porch about either getting the behind paddled or the behind kicked, played by mm-hmm. Brian Reddy. In right. the epi- in the Seinfeld episode, they dub over his actual voice. Ah. In the Seinfeld episodes, a series of hijinks lead Gary to be- uh, Jerry to believe that he has a crush on Jerry and is obsessed with him. Ah. Um, and he also confuses Brian's character's voice with that of his grandmother's. And it leads Jerry's grandmother to like withdraw all of her money from chemical bank or some craziness and she's on a fixed income and yeah (laughs) that's all right yeah oh man okay so as we are as we've already discussed oh brother where art thou prominently features the ku klux klan okay Mm -hmm. um now the ku klux klan as depicted in the movie is actually the second version of the ku klux klan which came about in 1915 hmm. um, and it came about right around the same time that the movie A Birth of a Nation was released which is one of the first historical epic movies ever made um, and in that movie portrays the first version of the Ku Klux Klan as heroic freedom fighters essentially saving the South from Negro domination, basically. And that's Mm -hmm. the way that the movie depicts it. Um, That movie had a huge popularity when it was released. And that popularity was encouraged because it was screened at the White House in the year 1915 by which president? Oh, boy. William Howard Taft, Warren G. Harding, Woodrow Wilson, or Calvin Coolidge? Oh, goodness. Uh, I feel like the misdirect is Woodrow Wilson, but Mm -hmm. it's misdirecting me enough to want to choose him. It's probably wrong, but I'm going to go with Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson is correct. Ooh, sweet. President Woodrow Wilson screened The Birth of the Nation at the White House and said it was the best movie he'd ever seen. Oh, Um, my God. And interesting fact, the movie depicts a cross burning. And we often think of, when we think of the KKK, we think of them burning crosses. Well, the first version of the KKK never did that. Like, cross burning was just not a thing that they did um, back during the 1860s and 1870s during Reconstruction. But the movie Birth of a Nation, like, throws cross burnings in for dramatic effect. Oh. So then the second version of the Klan is like, well, it's in the movie. Uh, so they, the second version of the Klan burned crosses basically just because the movie showed it that way. Oh, did they just come up with that trope for the movie? Like, where did they yeah. pull that out from? I'm not sure, but the director or oh. the screenwriter thought, ooh, this will be an extra an extra cool-looking thing that we can show them doing. Uh, sort of the uh, sort of the Guy Fox mask adaptation of... Um, exactly. I, uh, I had made that... I had that same thought earlier today. I was like, has there ever been a movie that has inspired a political symbol in popular, like, you know, in, oh, in yeah. popular usage. And yeah. the Guy Fox mask, I don't think anyone could have identified that before the movie B for Vendetta, and now you see it everywhere. And and similarly, the the Punisher symbol for oh, certain yeah. members of, um, of, like, law enforcement and fans of law enforcement. And, yeah. 
that's ugh. Hmm. Yep. 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 That was a sobering one, Bill. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna whiplash us back in the other direction. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Second, this is the second Seinfeld Oh Brother Where Art Thou question. Okay. Okay. What character was played by an actor who appeared in four episodes of Seinfeld over the course of 1997 to 1998? He played George Costanza's boss, Dick Kruger, president, and it's kind of vague, I guess maybe owner of Kruger Industrial Smoothing. Okay. Okay. Um, so is the character A, Governor Pass the Biscuits, Papio Daniel, played by Charles Durning, veteran screen okay. actor. He was in The Sting, Dog Day Afternoon, True Confessions, Tootsie, Dick Tracy. Yeah. Um, B, Sheriff Cooley, played by Daniel Von Bargen, who um, Tommy Johnson's description of the devil fits the sheriff to a T. They never make that direct connection, but like you're led to believe that it's that that the sheriff is the devil. Um, right? That's what I got. Oh know. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um or C, the blind radio station man played by the he's been in everything. Steven Root. He appeared Steven Root. in uh two different scenes with crazy eyes wit and tapping his cane and maybe i a depiction of a blind person that could be lit i don't think the blind community would be very happy a little bit a little bit borderline <laughs> yeah not great uh mocking of a blind person but he's been in a million different things he's great in barry the uh hbo tv show yeah so those were your three options do you need mm -hmm. me to need, need me to i think it was steven root Final answer. Uh, I'm guessing by the way you sucked your teeth, it was not <laughs> correct. <laughs> uh, that's my best uh, guess. I mean, it's a good guess because he was in, I think, news radio and stuff too. Uh, um, maybe no, I could picture him sitting behind a desk in like yeah. a, in like, in like a TV from the 1990s style image. Yeah, I think he was in. I think he was in news radio. I can't remember, but um, no, it was Daniel Van Bar Von Bargen. He played mm. Sheriff Cooley, who Tommy characterizes as the devil. He sold his soul to Daniel Von Bargen in Seinfeld played George's apathetic boss who did not care how good of a job did or if jo George did anything at all at Kruger Industrial Smoothing. In one episode, he gave George $20,000 for a charity George made up uh, called The Human Fund, whose slogan <laughs> was, quote unquote, money for people. <sighs> <laughs> which it was completely made up and he yeah. planned to keep the money for himself nice. he there's one scene and steven von, or daniel von bargen died um uh, five years ago or something like that but there's there's a scene of him uh talking to george and then he turns to go into his office and he just is has like the he's like the most apathetic boss he turns to go into his office and he goes whoa lock my keys in my office again well I'm going home. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So there you go. End of my question two. Oh man. I did a Google image search for Daniel Von Bargen. Yeah. And at least one of these images that is returned on Google image search incorrectly labels JK Simmons as Daniel Von Bargen. <laughs> they do kind of look similar. They do kind of look yeah. similar. Yeah. All right. Hit All right. Your next okay. So I got it. Okay. So as we as we established, this was uh, this movie set in 1937, mm -hmm. and 1937 was the year. Well, the first year of Franklin Roosevelt's second term as president, and in the election of 1936, Franklin Roosevelt defeated Alf Landon of Kansas, the governor of Kansas. Mm. How many states did FDR win in that election? Keep in mind that at this time there were only 48 states. That's so FD, FDR defeated Alf Landon, governor from, Can, from Kansas, and yep. he won a certain amount of states. Yes. So was it a, a, between 20 and 25 states, B, 25 to 36 states, 
C, 36 to 42 states, or I'm sorry, 20 to 25, 26 mm -hmm. to 35, 37 to 42, or 43 to 48? I feel like questions like this are either, I can't believe how many, or I can't believe how few. Right? <laughs> so, um, I'm going to be optimistic and say it's the, the, the most amount that you The highest say. range? Yeah. You are correct. Oh, In good. 1936, FDR won 46 of 48 states. Dang. Yep. Would you, would you have any guess on to some of the states he didn't win? There were two states 46. he didn't win. Gotta be, um, gotta be southern states, uh, like Alabama and Mississippi. Okay. That's actually, that's wrong because um, you're sort of, um, by saying it's gotta be southern states, you're actually in the wrong era. You're thinking about the post-civil rights era Democratic Party. Because mm, okay. traditionally, the Democratic Party was had a stranglehold on the South. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. 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 So the, actually, okay. and, and this is going to sound very strange from today, the 2020 perspective. The states he didn't win were Vermont and Maine. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was when the Republican Party was still heavily associated with, like, the Northeast and, the, and New England, especially. Uh, you know, my dad lived in Maine for... Almost 10 years. He might have lived there for longer than 10 years. And he told me a little bit about the main uh, mindset. They are, yeah. they are pretty individualistic up there, I think. Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. That They're very libertarian-oriented. Yeah. And yeah. lately, they've tended to vote Democrat. But it seems like, then again, they, 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 they've elected, uh, what's her name, Susan Collins as for senator over and over and over again. So they kind of go both ways. Yeah. Yeah, huh. but that was a landslide victory for FDR. He got 523 electoral votes, and he got 60.8% of the popular vote. Wow. Yeah, he cleaned up. Yeah. No. All right. La last question I have for you. Okay. You don't get any options on this one, because I, okay. I think I, this... Sh we'll see. Which character from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou... Um, which characters was played by somebody who starred as these other characters from different films and TV shows? I'm going to okay. give you the name of the character and the and the, the other property TV show. that he's from, yeah. and then you, yeah. Um, okay, so this uh, the person who played this character was also Phil Phil Remington, a team engineer in for Ford in Ford versus Ferrari. Phil Remington, teen engineer for Ford in Ford versus Ferrari. He was also Jerry Bostick, um, dash F I D O White. I don't know what that means in Apollo thirteen. So he's a he's a guy. He's one of the one of the guys on the ground in Apollo thirteen. Um, Deputy Norris Ridgwick in the movie adaptation of Stephen King's Needful Things, and. He was also Reverend H.W. Smith in 11 total episodes of David Milch's Deadwood series on HBO. Wonderful. Um, you, the name of the character is, oh my God, I know exactly who he is. He's, he's Homer Stokes' campaign manager. Yep, you and, got it. And his name is, um, oh, it's some, some sort of highfalutin sounding name. It's it's kind of. Uh, do you want me to give you the name? He has one of my favorite lines in the in the in the whole movie. One of my favorite exchanges is when he and Everett are kind of having a little face off in uh, in yep. uh, Woolworths, and Everett kind of goes sniff sniff, and he says, "You've been wearing my hair treatment," and he goes, "Your hair treatment." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he and uh, Everett calls calls Holly Hunter's character a. Uh, uh, succubus a succubus and he goes you can't talk like that to my fiance and then yep. uh, everett goes well you can't marry my wife right um yeah R ray mckinnon played vernon ray t mckinnon. waldrip waldrip that's right vernon, vernon t waldrip, waldrip. suitor right. of everett's wife played by holly hunter and also the campaign manager for Herman stokes the reform candidate and secret grand wizard mm -hmm. i guess that's people like that reform Maybe we ought to get us some. <laughs> Maybe we ought to get us some. <laughs> well, that actually dovetails really nicely to my last question. 
Okay, sweet. Uh, um, so the the movie depicts the governor of Mississippi, Pappy O'Daniel. Um, now he's not a he's a fictitious character, but the time period uh, and his the fact that he's the incumbent um, and the fact that his challenger is not a Republican but someone from the Reform Party, I think, strongly suggests that he's a Democrat because that's all Southern governors were Democrats at that time. Mm, and okay. as we said in the previous question, the Democratic Party had a stranglehold on the South basically from the end of Reconstruction all the way up to the Civil Rights era. But so um, when was the last time, do you think, a Democrat was elected governor of Mississippi? Ooh. So what year was the last time a Democrat was elected governor of Mississippi? Was it 1972, 1988? 2000 or 2004? 1972, you said? Mm-hmm. 2000 uh, or 2004? Yeah, or and the, well, there was one other option, 1988. 1988. I think it's 72. That was what I would have guessed, too, and I was a little bit surprised when I looked this up earlier. But in fact, in 2000, Ronnie oh. Musgrove was elected governor of Mississippi. Um, it had been several Republicans in a row before that, uh, but he only served one term. But mm. uh, he was the last Democratic governor of Mississippi. Interestingly, I guess, so I, go ahead. Was that was that election at the end of two thousand? It had to be right. Like it. Yeah, it would have been November out. of two thousand. Interesting, because yeah. I would have thought like. I thought maybe, well, you know, uh, Clinton was from the South and like the Democratic South mm -hmm. had all that poll sort of at the time. I thought right. maybe it would make more sense in the middle. That's interesting that it was at the end. huh? Yeah. So after 68, pretty much the South went Republican. However, there was a couple of presidential Democrat presidential candidates that were able to make some inroads, one being Bill Clinton and the other being Jimmy Carter. Because um, mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter was himself a, a Southern, well, they were both themselves Southern Democrats. Okay. Um, but but anyways, so the actual governor of Mississippi at the time that the movie is set in 1937 was a guy called Hugh White, and mm -hmm. so he was governor. He was elected governor of in 1936. So the fact that the movie takes place in 1937 doesn't really make sense because there. <laughs> Maybe it's maybe the movie's actually set in '36, and where I read '37 was just wrong. But um, this guy Hugh White, he was governor of Mississippi from 1936 to 1940, and then he was governor again later from 1952 to 1956. Anyways, um, to give you some sense of how different the Democratic Party was at that time, so he was a delegate for the Democratic Party to the 1948 Democratic National Convention. And at that convention, where um, Harry Truman was renominated, um, the mayor of Minneapolis, Hubert Humphrey, gave a speech in which he urged the entire Democratic Party to, quote, get out of the shadow of states' rights and walk forthrightly into the bright sunshine of human rights. In other words, Hubert Humphrey was trying to get the Democratic Party on board with civil rights for African Americans. So this guy, Hugh White, was one of the three leaders of a walkout of the convention of other Southern Democrats. So oh they walk God. out of the Democratic convention and they formed a special new party, which they called the States Rights Party. And they yeah. nominated Strom Thurmond for president. And basically the entire platform, the, the entire reason it existed was just because of their, their objection to that the Democratic Party of, of the North was trying to insert you know, civil rights into the platform. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's weird because most, a lot of the Democrats from before that era like changed parties to Republicans, but not all of them to the point mm -hmm. that all the way up until the 1980s and even really the 1990s, you had these Southern Democrats who, in terms of their political positions, would have been to the right of most Democrats and even to the right of some Republicans. But they, yeah. you know, they, they were still... The Democratic Party of the South was still sort of the old boys club they wanted to remain a part of. Yeah, and that kind of ties in, that theme kind of ties in with what we were talking about with the other Coen Brothers movies, where it's like this, the tortured liberal, right? Mm. Like the mm -hmm. ineffectual, um, 
uh, oftentimes like Jewish protagonist or right. just in this case the 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 white white dudes from the south with no power right yeah <laughs> or, or uh liberal white dudes from the south with no power yeah yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. um uh the so i um unfounded poorly researched quote that i heard was that um somebody attributed like similar to fargo where they said that that was a true story Somebody said this is an um, an allegory or like a, a, a retelling of the Odyssey, right? Because it says that mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Somebody says that the Coen brothers themselves were quoted as saying, "Yeah, we never read that book." Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which I think is kind of funny. Do you think um, where does George Clooney's performance rank for you in the Coen brothers movies? right this performance where does it rank in terms of all the coen brothers movies that he's been in mm. and then where does it rank as far as his performances in his career at large so the other coen brothers movies he's been in were hail caesar hail caesar burn yep. after reading yep uh intolerable cruelty intolerable cruelty yep. were there any others i don't think so i can't think of any more no. as i recall this was something of a surprising role for him. Is like in the year 2000, I kind of think that George Clooney was still pretty much thought of as hot doctor from ER. Right? Mm. Isn't that, that that's the association most people still had with him that he was a hunky romantic <laughs> leading man? I think not so, really known for he, c- comedy. I the thing is though he was in um, I'm looking at his at his thing real quick. So the same year, 2000. Um, well, let's back up even more because he was in From Dusk Till Dawn in '96, which mm. was a pretty big movie. Yeah. Um, the ones that he was in before that, uh, I don't. They don't jump out to me. The Harvest, where he played a lip syncing transvestite. I don't think that was his. Yeah. Mm. So. From Dust Till Dawn, 96. One Fine Day in 96. Um, that was a pretty big movie. Batman and Robin. Oh, I think that's yeah. in 97. Um, the Pe- And then from after Batman and Robin, that's kind of where he started to get some big roles. He was in The Peacemaker, The Thin Red Line, mm-hmm. Out of Sight. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Soderbergh latched onto him from Out of Sight. Yeah. And then um he was in Three Kings in ninety nine. Yeah. Um and the same year he was in No Brother Where Art Thou, he starred in The Perfect Storm, which was also like a pretty big piece for him, you know. Right. Yeah. Immediately after this, he was in Oceans Eleven, um, in two thousand one. Which I, I got more to say about Oceans Eleven because I just watched it. Um but uh yeah so and then later on he made um tolerable cruelty he was in some ocean movies he uh was in the good german which i thought was good men who stare at goats up in the air yeah michael clayton uh-huh um yeah hail caesar gravity yeah so we're um i, I think, think it's, it's fair to it's, say maybe that this was his first goofy role yeah i think so i think so yeah uh-huh um i think as far as this is his best coen brothers movie i think the yeah. for his performance anyway right. and it's maybe fourth favorite of mine for his movie roles mm-hmm. because michael clayton that movie is worth is worth watching again if you haven't seen it in a while that movie yeah. is so good Oh boy, have you seen it? I've seen it. Yeah, it's been Oof. a long time, but I've seen it. That movie's so good. And Ocean's I was just, Eleven. I was just so thinking good. about it today because I remember there's a there's a scene in that movie, Michael Clayton, in which the character played by Tom Wilkinson gets murdered by these two guys, but they do it in a super clinical way to to make it look like he just had a heart attack or something. Yeah. I believe yeah. Check him with poison like between his toes, where no one's going to yep. look for it. Yeah. And I've always thought like any time any 
politician or celebrity or whoever has died and mm. they say natural causes, I always think, well, you never know. He could have been Michael Clayton. You know, he could have. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that movie, that movie is in the realm of smart adult thrillers that they mm-hmm. barely make anymore. Um, yeah. You know, it's so good. It's so the good. The mid, mid-budget adult drama. Uh, mid-budget adult <laughs> drama. Yep. Um, so Someone should do a podcast of just those. Oh, I'm down. Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, let's for that. do it. All right. Let's try to oh brainstorm God. some other mid budget adult dramas. Oh my God. So good. Um, so here's the here's the thing that I noticed. Um, because I just watched Ocean's Eleven at, after seeing Oh Brother Where Art Thou. George Clooney starred back to back in movies in which he is a convict who escapes and the primary or doesn't escape in Ocean's Eleven. He gets out of prison. And the primary motivation for him to go back and do another heist is to get his wife back. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> in both of the movies. And they're, <laughs> they're both uh, sort of capers. Yep. You know? Um, and he plays completely opposite characters in both of them. Two uh-huh. amazing results, I think, in right. both I movies. Right, I agree. Yeah, I, yeah. Think he's, I think he's tremendous. He's yeah. great. Yeah, he's... He, I don't know the new batch of, of people, the new batch of actors coming up. There's not anybody really that is like uh, as striking as him. I don't know. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's he's, my, that's my there's no one set. quite. He doesn't quite. Yeah. There's no one quite like him. Did you hear the, the anecdote that Richard Kind told about George Clooney to Mark Marin on the WTF podcast? No. Oh, oh, is God. it the cat box thing? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let, let's not, let's not, uh, re, should we retell it here? Uh, I don't know. We can spare our listeners. They can, they can get in touch with us if they want to know the cat box anecdote. You, you should, yeah. you should Google George Clooney cat box a bit. Cause I think he's told it on Conan and a bunch of other places too. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, man. so, uh, this move. So while here's the thing about, Oh brother, where art thou for me? While it's not one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, it's one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies to quote. Yeah. Why? Why has the yeah I have them in Jan Bura? You and I yeah. have been quoting that at each other for, for ten years. years yeah. like. <laughs> why? I don't, I don't know, know why that. Why does that line stick with you so much? Like, There's it's so much. So I think. It, I think it's down to. Um, I, I really think that the dialogue is like scientifically engineered for the the characters i mean for the actors yeah for the actors like i think one of the things that makes the coen brothers movie so good is the casting is always just perfect just absolutely perfect like for example the this is from a different movie but this in in no country for old men when when uh when anton chigurh goes looking for Llewellyn moss at the trailer park and he walks into the office and the mm. lady at the desk, who's like, sir, we can't oh. give out no information. Like, that woman just nails that part. Like, oh, my God, yeah. No, she, she's like, nobody else could do that part the way she could do it. It seems so natural. It seems they, like that, that's what she, it seems yes. like, she, it, it seems like she's that person. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I think they're, they're, they're masters of casting. And so they, mm-hmm. they just know what lines will sound funny coming out of whose mouths? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, there's that, there's that Jan Bura line. Yep. There's the, this stew's all good. <laughs> I always, I say that a lot. <laughs> when, I, the thing I love is when they're talking about, it's such a nice calm moment that is like oddly enduring in the midst of all this like endearing in the midst of all this like goofiness when they're talking about what they would do with the money yep and they're all around the campfire and and i think tommy's still there like kind of gently playing the guitar and yep. pete is saying how he'd be a mater d yeah he'd be a mater um, d i'd be a mater d and they'd say yes sir and no sir nina jiffy pete yep like perhaps because my name is peter and i often go by pete I don't know why that line sticks with me, but it's yeah. so funny. It's so funny to me. What, what I are think some other? What's, what's sort of endearing about that is there's something kind of precious. You kind of want to say, "Oh, bless your heart," that he wants to be the mater d of a restaurant. 
right? Yeah. Like yep. like the idea that the position of being the mater d, who is that's a subordinate position to the ownership, <laughs> right? Right. He doesn't like, want to be the owner. <laughs> right. He just no. wants to be the mater d. He wants this like prestigious middle manager sort of position to have yeah yeah he he wants to be seen as somebody like he wants yeah. the he wants the 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 visage or something yeah yep um the 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 bit i think you and i have quoted this at each other a bunch too where yep. um they uh everett goes well just take a look at delmer here <laughs> Yeah. And Delmer goes, yeah, yeah, look at me. Yeah, he has no idea what point Everett is trying to make. He just is trying to like participate in the conversation. Oh God. And, and I mean, so Delmer to me is is a a, a reimagining of um of Donnie to a certain degree, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Delmer plays the same l- lovable, like he's the most pure at heart um of the three of them, I think. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and, and Everett's sort of the Walter and the dude is sort of the Pete. Yeah. When you think I, about I, it. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Everett's a little more, his disposition is a little more sunny than. Um, oh yeah, for sure. But in yeah. terms of the, uh, like how much he talks and how much he throws in like intellectual <laughs> references and things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. What's, uh, what are what are some other good good quotes oh, that just make so warm their way into conversation? Um, um. So just the other day, uh, so just the other day, um, the uh, Emily was talking about. So Emily is the is on a board for this small opera company in town, and they were talking about, you know, okay, what kind of performances could we even have over the next 12 months? Because, you know, for obvious reasons, COVID-19 and things. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be hard to get a bunch of musicians together to be an orchestra for like a singer. And so I said, so what I said to her is, um, you know, given that you probably couldn't get a bunch of instrumentalists sitting together in close proximity, I said, You'll probably just have to rely upon a, an accompa, an accompa, a, 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 a guy who plays the guitar. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. want to be telling tales out of school, but there's yeah. a man there that'll give you ten dollars if you've seen in his can. Yep. <laughs> oh man, so good, so good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what other, what other thoughts do we have? Also, with the, so just another thought on casting. The, remember when they wrote the Rob the Bank and Babyface Nelson is robbing the bank and he's all happy. And then one of the ladies whispers, that's Babyface Nelson. The woman, <laughs> the woman who whispers that she's such a strange looking old woman. She's got such a strange face. Well, like, I and think that, yeah, I think that face is a result. I think that that shape of the mouth comes when you do not have teeth and you do not put your dentures in. Yeah, that's I think that's the, probably the right. Sort of collapsed in. I think that's what I think that's what has happened. Yep, yeah, that's probably right. But it's just they know that they that that line that whole bit is going to work so much better if it comes out of a person who looks funny than just a normal <laughs> yeah. poor woman. I hate to criticize her like that, but they just have, they just know like what faces combine well with what lines. Yeah, yeah. The they know how to cartoonify somebody. Yes, like, that's exactly right. Degree. Yeah. Um, so here, here is here is something I I have not traced the roots of this. So this is wild speculation. Okay. There is something about the the um, simultaneous rise of like folk music in the broader consciousness that mm-hmm. has also tied in with the timing of this movie. Yeah. And I don't know if the two, uh, I don't know if one caused the other. Like, I don't right. know if T-Bone Burnett was responsible for the rise or if the rise happened and T-Bone was just like, I'm going to latch on to Alison Krauss and some of these other musicians. Yeah. Um, I think that is simultaneously good and also terrible for my own listening pleasure because there mm. are so many very, very bad pop folk songs on the radio on like the the like 
hip radio stations that I wish I did not have to listen to. Mm. What do you think? Mm. Well, so Emily and I talked about this when 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 we watched the movie together, uh, whenever it was a week ago or something. Um, yeah, that soundtrack was one of the top selling albums of the of the of the year of two thousand one. Yeah, like after that movie came out. So yeah. yeah, was it? There was clearly a sort of folksy, folksy old timey music hole in the American public that they desperately wanted to fill. Yeah, and this this soundtrack really touched a nerve somehow. Like it 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 was just blew up. You when know? did um what what was the name of the of the mockumentary movie that was about the folk music? A Mighty Wind. Yeah. Um, when did that, that was a little out? bit later. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, 2003. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, one could one could kind of speculate, right? Did the popularity of the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack kind of give Christopher Guest the idea of making a Mighty Wind? Because it seems like folk music kind of comes in waves, right? Folk mm-hmm. music and folk revival music. I mean, hell, uh, Inside Lewin Davis is about the 60s, but that's about one of the earlier times when folk music had a big revival. Yeah. Uh, and so there's something about rootsy, rootsy Americana style music. It, like, it just comes in waves, maybe waves of every 20 years or so. But it, yeah. but. You know, would bands like, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for Old Brother, Where Art Thou, would bands like Nickel Creek and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what that 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 English band I I don't I don't like um, the, the Brothers band I forget Avett Brothers or... they're they're not English but yeah Avett Brothers probably owe some of their, you know, popularity to to the to the bear that the Old Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack poked, you might say. Yeah. Um, and then there's that, that band that they like play banjos, but sort of almost arena rock style. They're, they're English. They're, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what the hell are they called? The, I, uh, God. Oh, the, the, <laughs> this is great. The, the Tweety, the Tweety Stompy Gentlemen, or the, <laughs> uh, they're called, um, the, they're called, uh, <laughs> there are people who are listening to this that are yelling the name of the band I'm trying to think M- of. Mumford and Sons. Mumford and Sons. God. Yeah. Mumford and Sons. Yep. yep. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I really I really like some of that kind of music. Something there's just something about Mumford and Sons that if I find very annoying. I... But I like, you know, I like Nickel Creek for example. So There's some uh, Oh, do you want to uh, this is only this I we have to get this on recorded. Please tell us the Nickel Creek story with the, oh, the Bill's dad, Nickel Creek story. <laughs> oh man. All right. So this would have been, it was either, uh, it would have been fall of 2005. I had graduated college and I moved back to my parents' house, um, for a little while before I, um, went abroad and I was playing orchestra in, um, a, a local orchestra. And I remember I came home from orchestra rehearsal one night to a sort of shocking development at home. So my dad loved reading um, pop music reviews, like in the New York Times and other outlets. Like he really enjoyed staying on top of recent releases in music. He was, you know, he was and still is a person, a, a boomer who liked to know what new music was coming out and still have taste yeah. of new music and your right. mom is a, your mom is like an uh, art history professor right right and yeah and your dad was like like a liberal sort of like thinker type right yeah sure yeah. i mean he's I, he was I, a lawyer but he it was definitely definitely a, he's definitely a liberal okay um, that i'm just I'm just setting the stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. My my mother has absolutely zero clue about pop music and never had. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, she has no idea. She couldn't. I mean, my mother couldn't distinguish between like a rock song from the '60s versus one from last year. She just, I don't know. Her aesthetic <laughs> analysis of that sort of thing is just doesn't. She just doesn't. Have, anyway, 
Um, so my dad, you know, liked keeping up on new music that was coming out. He liked to buy records that got a good review in the New York Times or uh, from NPR's All Songs Considered or whatever. So um, I come home from the orchestra rehearsal and my dad is in the kitchen making dinner. And the kitchen sounds like a high school football locker room. There's no other way to put it. I, I, the kitchen sounds like grindy guitars and really, really like loud kick drums and just throaty, aggro, throaty rock vocals. Yeah, yeah. aggro uh, boy high school player music. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, what are you listening to? He's like, oh, it's Nickelback. I was like, you're listening to Nickelback? He's like, yeah, this album is getting a lot of really good reviews. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. So I bought it. And he was playing it on his iPod on the kitchen, you know, on the kitchen stereo. I was like, okay, I guess we're listening to Nickelback as you cook dinner. <laughs> so, then, so then a few days go by. And I was like, man, my dad bought the Nickelback album. <laughs> So then a few days go by and uh, my dad is like, oh, yeah, I realized I, I was actually I meant to buy Nickel Creek. But <laughs> <laughs> but I just kind of I think I searched iTunes for Nickel and I figured it was just going to be the first thing that came up. So, oh, man, <laughs> uh, I love that story. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see. Let's should we rate it out of five? If I was rating it out of four. I think Raj, I think Roger Ebert was too rough. If it was out of four, I'd give it like at least three, probably 3.5. Okay. If it's, if it's out of five, I think I rated it on Letterbox 3.5. 3.5 out of five. Yeah. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm giving it five out of five. I ain't back and down. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's top tier for you. Yeah, it's top tier. Yeah. Cool. Well, One and, thing and that he, struck me upon. So I'm interested to hear you. You watch the Blu-ray. Um, yeah. I just watched it on regular DVD. One thing that I was a little surprised by is I remembered that they, you know, filmed it with strange filters on the camera. I remember yeah. that they they crafted a very yellow kind of cast yeah. to it. Sepia, sepia tone. Sepia uh, tone. But I had forgotten just how much. They had done that. Yeah, like, there is nary, there is nary a green leaf in the entire movie, right? No. Everything that is green is yellow. That should be green is yellow. Yeah, um, uh -huh. and I was I had forgotten just how much uh, of that was done to the film, and I feel like that's a very of its time filming technique. I mean, I think a lot of late '90s, early 2000s movies loved to do that kind of stuff the, with the, the, the colors. Uh, when I was when I was poking around on the internet, they they had cited this movie as one of the very first movies that had done something. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, the first time I noticed something like that was um, I noticed how bluish that um, Saving Private Ryan was when I saw that in the theater. Yep. Yep. I, they I desaturated really... the hell out of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the movie uh, Traffic. Steven Soderbergh traffic mm -hmm. does the filter thing. Um, it makes all the scenes in Mexico are yellowish. All the scenes in New York are bluish. Um, and three Kings also does, does filter stuff. I've, I've, yeah. Three Kings kind of screws around with the colors. This oh, says um, there's something here that says the movie was one of the first to extensively use digital color correction to give the film, mm. the film an autumnal sepia tone, sepia tinted look. Yeah. yeah yeah um so i guess maybe in that sense like for digital color correction it's right it's, um, so i think you know the first time i ever saw the movie i had never been in the south in the fall i think i agree that i think they're trying to go oh. for a fall look yeah which makes me think it the movie must supposed to be 36 rather than 37 because there wouldn't be anyway but um i had never been in the south in the fall so I just kind of thought, well, maybe that's what it looks like. But then after having lived in Gainesville for so long, it doesn't get that yellow. <laughs> like no. that's not that's that's not what the live oak trees look like or anything like no. that. No, no, it's not. Um, yeah. no. What what was weird when I watched it on Blu-ray is some of the scenes, the way it, the way it was shot, it almost looked like 
virtually every scene was green screen. It was very odd. Like the the oh. outline of people's heads and stuff against the background. It was almost like there was I don't know if this is what it was, but it looked like there was almost like a line, like mm. a marker and drew a line around them. But it could have just been the way it was lit. Yeah. Um, but I almost, wonder sure. if I almost wonder if that's an example of when HD can sometimes show you the seams a little bit that standard yeah. definition doesn't show you. Because I didn't know yeah. anything like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hmm. Well, I, th I think that just about wraps her all I up. I think she's Bill. in the books. Yep. And What's then the next, so next, film? next film is uh, The Man Who Wasn't There. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that in years. Coen Brothers movie, I don't think I've seen all the way through, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited. Uh, I know Emily's never seen it. Um, yeah. So it'll be a first time viewing for her. And uh, I'm pretty excited because it's been a long time. And it's got James Gandolfini in it, whom I love. I love James Gandolfini. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah James I, I Gandolfini. Miss, I miss James Gandolfini. Uh, I'm a big Sopranos fan, as you know. Yeah. Love, love James Gandolfini. It's got. All right, also, well, it's also got oh. a. Well, we can save this for when we actually talk about it. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Stay, stay by your apparatus, Bill. Stay by your apparatus. Signing off. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.